man, I was hopeful, you know? I was so hopeful. When the game started, I was really hopeful that we're going to get out of this game with a win. And I know, like I know, if we win this game, we're going to be top of the group. It's a direct qualification yeah. to World Cup. Yeah. I know it. So, last time Turkey made it to the Euros, mm. right? It was at the last minute free kick from Inan. Mm. Remember? It was I like remember. the 90-minute yeah. free kick. Saw and with that, that goal, they made it to the world, uh, to the Euros. And I couldn't watch that game live. So, I was like, man, I missed this opportunity of joy and... Uh, celebration so this time i waited for the replay to be shown on tv and i was hopeful i was like okay it's all in our hands it's in turkey against iceland and we have the crowd at at home and you know how turkish fans are man and you can hear it in the background you hear it in the background they jumping, they're screaming, they're singing, and this sound that you hear right now, it's in the ADF minute, you know what I mean, it's in the ADF minute, they're still singing and jumping and screaming, me, score at this point, 2-0, 3-0, 3-0, to Iceland, to Iceland, (laughs) I'm laying here on the couch, and so disappointed, like, there's no words, they can't explain how disappointed I am. I am like want to be behind the couch and not even watch the game. <laughs> I mean, we had good players on the pitch, but the selection of these players for a physical team like Iceland was just a stupidity. You know, there were no chances created. There were no passion. There were no will. It, it kind of looked like. A friendly game from Turkey's part, to be honest. I mean, this urgency, like this stress, like we have to push up. You know, we have to go up. We have to score a goal soon to be back in this game. At least get a draw. That maybe we can make it to the qualification in the last round when we play against Finland. It was not there, bro. It was not even there. They subbed out Nuri Shahin and they put in another defensive midfielder. You know? and pushing, putting someone to push for the attack. Yeah, You have Emre Mor in the squad. Emre Mor that is one of the most dangerous player, aggressive player. A player with creative mind and can create chances for nothing. Mm. You know, they put him in late into the game. Hmm. And once he came in, he was making one, two guys on the left side and putting in the crosses. Now we have chances, you know. And uh, obviously after the game when we lost, it was just sadness, you know. I, I, I knew by this, looking at the other scores that Turkey's not going to make it. So I realized... Oh, I, so That being, sorry, yeah. that being a pretty tight group towards the top there yes four teams in contention at that point yes. iceland turkey croatia yeah and ukraine i believe exactly uh it's a pretty tight group so yeah i'm sure turkey needed all the teams needed every point that they could get going into this this round which is the second to last round i believe yes yeah. it was and iceland looking now iceland won the group mm-hmm. croatia is second and i think turkey came on the fourth mm. 
But I looked into the media in Turkey, right? What are the media saying? What are the experts saying? And uh, I'm not sure if you followed it, but I can show it to you here. Everyone is talking about this. What are you seeing? Well, it, it's late 3 0 to Iceland, and Arda Turan subs off. He doesn't, I mean, it seems like he has some sort of smile on his face. Exactly. Arda is getting subbed off, and he's kind of smiling, and all the Turkish media are putting him as a what a disgrace, what a traitor, that kind of. Because I assume, because him smiling it's like there's no there's no real sense of anguish or sense of disappointment exactly see from his face. exactly and i think to myself right <laughs> have these guys ever played soccer i mean they have mm-hmm. you know they have it's not like they haven't but have you ever been that mad or injustice against you that you kind of like smiling it's almost like, like a right like a <laughs> ironic me, right? smile or exactly yeah, it's yeah. like oh, are you kidding me that yeah. <laughs> that kind of like you know now they're gonna blame it on me yeah like no. everything's funny in a sort of twisted way exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> this you think arda is going out at the loss of free zero not making to the world cup and he's gonna smile <laughs> in an enjoyable way of it he's upset it's one of those and i'm just sitting there and i don't understand how we can disgrace and be so hard on one of our top players you know and this is where the turkish football had led into it's if i can just touch on yes. Arda specifically i mean him being a player yeah you're right one of the top players uh that turkey has produced uh, but it seems his relationship particularly the last couple of years with the fans with the media has been kind of strained yes, right? yes. i remember was it after the euros last year that mm-hmm. he said he retired from international yeah. football although he's apparently come back but yeah but still seems to be on tenuous ground scapegoat mm. i mean for this game for iceland game arda turan hasn't played one game in barcelona he hasn't been on the roster he's been injured but now he started like how much performance can you weigh from that yeah, you know, there's yeah. no form right there. Yeah. But there have been news in Turkey about Arda Turan that is wrong, which we all call fake news. Mm. And there was one particular guy that wrote articles about him several times without having any truth in it. So on one of the trips, this journalist was on the airplane and Arda confronted him with violence. Mm like strangle him or holding his throat or something like that. And Turkish media goes back to how can the captain of the Turkish national team act like this when he's supposed to be a role model? This is this was right after the Euros, yeah? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Arda then said, okay, um, you know, it was too much. He retired, right? The head coach, Fatih Terim, in this summer, I was in Turkey. When I saw this news on TV, I was shocked. Mm. I was shocked, dude. Like, I was, you know, one of those when you increase the volume. Uh-huh. And, you, you know, yeah. wait a minute, what is this? <laughs> and there's video of it, too. It's Fatih Terim, his son-in-law, 
and uh, a friend of his, something, something like that, right? They take an airplane from one city to another city to confront a restaurant owner that had apparently said something about Fatimi's family, and three of them goes all the way to that city, and they just running into the restaurant and confronting and getting into a fight. Raise some hell. Oh, man. <laughs> and you can see them running from this, uh, the, the scene. Mm. And what is going on? What is going on? You know? That happens at the same time as Arda. So, Turkish Federation brought in Luchesco. And Luchesco asked Arda to come back. Mm. And now with this failure, they're like, oh, you went and got a foreign coach that went and licked, you know, who's mm. Arda to come back. And this is what the result is. Mm. What a disgrace. Everybody should get fired from the top to the bottom. Even the players for not showing any passion, any will to let down a big soccer national like Turkey to go for World Cup. Last time we were in the World Cup was 2002. Now they're demanding everybody's resignation. Everyone's, man. And I think it all is with the player selection throughout this uh, World Cup qualifier. And it's on Fatih Terim and kind on the players. Like for so long I haven't even... I don't even know who these players are. Mm. This last time it was... Emre in the middle as a captain. That was his first game in this World Cup mm. qualification. Emre being like 35 years exactly, old. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So this confusing situation happens because there is no plan intact. And keep in mind, Turkey is one of the richest soccer nations in Europe. Like They have so much money and they have the country backing them up. So there being multiple stadiums building uh, and finished around Turkey that are like exceptional, mm. like exceptional. And there's so much money going into TV rights, you know, different purchases mm. and the, everything that soccer brings is so much money in Turkey. And now not making to this World Cup and not being representation in this way and you just compare it to who? Iceland, a country with like <laughs> 350,000 wow. yeah. people, you know, that just have 77 pro licensed players, while Turkey is a. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Can I ask you this? Uh, I just want to ask this question, and it may be a tough question, mm-hmm. but I'm curious. Uh, Turkey being a, you said, soccer mad nation, uh, it's had some you know, 2002 as like a golden generation, yes. such big success. 2008 is also talked about in the right. Euros, such big success. Uh, but being a country, especially being in Europe, yeah, where it's not always easy, especially a country like Turkey, it's not easy for them to qualify. They don't, yeah. they're not like Spain or Germany or England that qualifies all the time. How is how is uh, failure to qualify for a World Cup or Euros handled? by generally handled by the people or by the federation or whoever is that something you understand what i mean is that something you think you could answer is it is it i mean you said this time that they're saying everybody out yes everybody out is that something that's normally happened or do you think it's maybe a bit more level-headed no it's 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 
um, very heavy talks. Mm. And you think it's right? right? I think it it's might right. Be right. Yeah, yeah it because might be right. the the president of the federation has been there for a long time, and we haven't seen the progress that everyone hoped for, and the goal was, you know. Mm. So, but the way they are doing it is very unlikely in other nations. The way they talk, the way they call out names, okay. you know, the way they call out the president, Fatih Terim, Lucesco, Arda, Emre, Emre Mor, the way they say it to them is not really been do- done in other parts of the world. And it sucks. <laughs> it sucks. You know, a couple of episodes back, we were talking about the possibility to have Turkey, Sweden, yeah. and US right. in the World Cup would be like a dream. Yeah. yeah. And now, the only chance for me is having Sweden qualifying to the World Cup. Because what happened to US? We're not f***ing out too, man. Welcome to the Oz Caution King Soccer Podcast Show. not understanding my pain you know what i mean when i told you about turkey like we lost you were like you couldn't really relate in the way like you don't or you couldn't understand the feeling how my pain was you know you were like okay yes at least that's no. sweden you know true uh, yeah i guess i was thinking that yeah. a little bit but yeah. i would never in my life imagine that relive almost the election night again yeah like the trump election night was such a devastating night of uh, just a shock and uh, disappointment and it was disgraceful and you know almost like a panic like now time now it's time for us to leave united states (laughs) you know but it was it was tough man all right let's start with let's say the circumstances of that night. Okay. Not just of the U.S. and their team, yeah. but of us. Once the game was happening, we had a game. We had it. We? Yes, we did. At Sons of Pitches. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I saw I was able to watch like the first 30 minutes of the Me too. U.S. game. Me too. Uh, before I left for our game. Yeah. Um, not a good start. I left the house and Trinidad was 2-0 up <laughs> over the U.S. <laughs> Trinidad, who are the... By far, they, I mean, respect for them. 
here he comes though yeah. but <laughs> once you say that once you say that it's never a good thing that follows right. uh during this qualifying cycle we're by far the worst team in the hex in the hexagonal the final round um bottom they i don't even they have three points i can't remember if they had any wins or not mm-hmm. but three points way they've been eliminated essentially way right. long ago nothing to play for nothing to play nothing to play for at all and even going into this game even going into this game it was well noted that they they were they were aiming to look for the future they're bringing in youth players or fringe sort of mm. players reserve sort of players yeah so once i leave my house to come to our game and i see i saw both the goals <laughs> a fluke own goal and a shot that could not have been the guy will never come close to scoring a goal like that ever again in his life a shot from like 35 yards yeah. on the right side of the field to the upper 90 um but even so i left and i was thinking okay it's tough even so i was thinking okay it's tough it'll be tough but i still have faith that the us will be able to pull out a result yeah and even if we lose um the us would could have afforded a loss as sucky as that would have been if both if their direct competitors Honduras and Panama also they just they could just couldn't win. So I was watching, and when I left, it was one zero. Mm. So I told Kaylee, "Hey, if US loses, there is a risk that they can be eliminated." Mm. But then I was hearing the commentators talking about these results that needed to happen in the other games. I was like. Ah, that's too much. Exactly, right? What are you talking about? Exactly. That's like really good outs exactly. and chance for US. Even if they lose, There's two other games needs to go their way. Exactly. I mean, I, I mean, didn't really like, ah. Okay. Let's say Honduras had to defeat Mexico. And Mexico, who were by far the best team, yeah. are always one of the better teams. And this this uh, this year, were by far the best team. They're excellent. Yeah. And Panama had to defeat Costa Rica, who have been brilliant as well. Right. Both teams had already qualified. Yeah. Uh. So I was thinking, even I left my house, and I was thinking, you know, it it'll it won't be. I think it'll still end up being all right. Right. We go to our game. Yeah. We play great, we great game, it. right? Yeah. I scored a very nice goal. You but did? Uh, You didn't see it. Wait, how it was, was the it? first goal. It was uh Open one goal two again. No way. <laughs> what do you mean again? Well, I got a couple of those, but no, it was a one two. Played a one two with E. Uh, my first touch was excellent to get in front of the defender then side foot into the corner it was nice. really after like nice. a minute we won with like six seven zero right we did we did yes. we played well yeah uh but i towards the end towards like the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. even though we were dominating our game yeah we had some guys sitting on the side some uh people walking around with their phones with the news right with the scores kind of giving us tiny updates exactly and yeah. more updates we get the harder we play <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go on. <laughs> news. So there, it was news of Honduras just scored again against Mexico, or Panama just scored again against Costa Rica, and then we're like, "What's the U.S. score again?" It's two to one to Trinidad. U.S. is still losing. Yeah. And so we're for the last ten minutes, we're on all nervous. We're on yeah. edge, and I I remember it was like maybe two minutes left of the game. The referee who just happened to be at that time standing like right in front of us right. of our like our bench area somebody said panama result is final panama want to costa rica one that's final and then there was still a few minutes left in the honduras yeah. game but uh and i think the u.s game was over as well 
uh, and the ref completely ignored, turned, I think he missed like a clear handball, but he turned <laughs> to face, he's like, the Panama game is over, and the score, we're still losing, and we're like, yeah, and he just completely, he just had this shocked look on his face, yeah. and while the game was going yeah. on behind him, yeah. uh, so that was, it was just that sort of feeling, man, it was just so uneasy, and... I mean, even in, um, like, in halftime, when we discussed the possibilities, mm. right, and what was the score in the Mexico game? The final? Not the final, but... The halftime? I think it was 1-1 one to one at halftime. 1-1, one one, but they were up 2-1, right? Yeah, they went up 2-1 two to one two at to one. one point. Early in, early in the second half or something like that. And, and at that point, you know, two more goals needs to happen. Yeah. And uh, we all were, like, discussing, like, conspiracies. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, there's that I big talk... rivalry with the U.S. and Mexico. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and it all kind of... We all were, like, so anxious like no can this really happen can yeah. this really happen you know would mexico really throw away a game just to keep the us out yeah what happened um those thoughts came to our heads but i i'm afraid those thoughts of mexico throwing it away or costa rica for whatever reason throwing away their game against panama dominated our minds rather than the fact that it was the us that just sucked that night exactly which exactly i mean Mexico, Canada, or Costa Rica throws a day, whatever, that's awful, right. but none of it should have mattered, because right. the U.S. should have had enough to defeat, or just not lose, right. away to the absolute worst team in the region at that, because, at that stage. Because U.S. had even better outs and chances than Turkey. If U.S. would have won, or get a tie, they would make it. Yeah. They yeah. would be, they would be in the 100%, World Cup. yeah. And playing against the worst team in the group, they still managed to lose. Yeah. It's been like a week now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's been a lot said. So and still a lot more that will be said. Definitely. So let's discuss this a little bit. Mm. You're right. We should first look at that game. We didn't turn up. Mm. We did not show. We did not show any urgency or any tempo any pace any will we didn't create that much it was not like this we gotta do right, it right right that that will the world cup is still on the line exactly those two goals i said that i think team howard could save them like to be I honest agree. i think especially the first them. one in my opinion yeah especially that one i think he could take one more step and mm. make the throw, and he would have time to save it. Mm. And what about the other players, man? You are a little bit more knowledgeable about the U.S. team than me. Well, not to get into, like, tactics too much, right. although that's kind of come under question, kind of back and forth. But just a few days earlier, right, we play, we saw that Panama game yeah. and at home where the U.S., who coming into that game were struggling, but then utterly destroy Panama at home. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. One of the best performances that we've seen them play. Pulisic on fire. Alcidor on fire. John Deere Yedlin was completely solid at the back. And coming into the Trinidad game, the exact same lineup, exact same squad. So which I personally didn't have trouble with. Seeing what they did against Panama, I didn't really have trouble with. But a lot of those players, ever since Jurgen Klinsmann was fired... Uh, around this time last year, and Bruce Arena came in, uh, a lot of those players, it was well known, would be players that Bruce Arena knows well and mm -hmm. trusts mm -hmm. well. Nobody really knew, no real new experiments or anything like that. It was people that Bruce could trust and could rely on to be stable to just, no matter if it was pretty or 
or ugly yeah. to just get the U.S. through. And a lot of them were guys, like Bradley, obviously, the big yeah. ones being like Bradley Howard, Dempsey, Altador. A lot of them were guys that have been stellar for the U.S. in the past. Mm-hmm. Even other players like Omar Gonzalez that got the own goal or uh, uh, Graham Zussier, he didn't start that game, but someone else that was in the squad yeah. that's been excellent for us the past cycle yeah uh we've been seeing these players for a long time we have for a long time and they used to be so good yeah but i just think it's they used to be so good used they've to. they've lost i uh, i guess i'll say they lost their drive but it's still playing for the national team there's a pride to that they're still playing trying to qualify for the world cup so i'm sure it's not like they weren't trying but that sense of urgency that you've had said, yeah. you said Turkey, they, yeah. they, it was playing like it was a friendly match. Yeah. Trinidad had absolutely nothing to play for, but they played like they had something to play for. Exactly. The U.S., other really than Pulisic in this game, played like they didn't really, like it was almost already in the back. Like they had already qualified. Exactly. When, exactly. when in the end they didn't, uh, you look at other teams, Panama, Honduras, who were playing like they had something to play for. And so they played with, it was like their lives were on the line. Even other games like Syria, Australia, oh, yeah, yeah. Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, even teams like Brazil, when you played, when you watched them play and they scored goals, they were so happy. France, when they made it to the World Cup, celebrated it. You know, all these other teams seems to have, all these teams have really put in the effort throughout the group, right? Sure. It's not just the Trinidad game. Right, right. It's not. It, that's absolutely right. It's not just this game. It was throughout the group that, yeah. throughout the qualifying that uh, that led the U.S. to the spot that it was in. I'm glad you said Argentina yeah. because they played at the same time, uh, more or less, and uh, they were also in real danger. Everyone knows how crazy yes. South America was yeah. at that time. And Argentina was also in real danger of missing. They had to win. They had to win. And so what did they do? Messi, who has been under fire all all yeah. qualifying, said, you know what? We have to get to this World Cup. We have to win. And so he played his heart out yeah. and completely dominated that game. And scored three goals. Three goals. And now Argentina's going to the yes. World Cup. He and, performed once it mattered, right? And we will remember... Messi for another big massive thing. Right. You know, imagine like Jose Altidore scoring three goals against Trinidad. All right, man. Now you <laughs> changed the legacy of what you've done for U.S. soccer. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Uh, <laughs> what I don't understand, Kerry, is um, yes, we have a big belief for the teams we cheer for. You know, we have um, me and you. We are Arsenal supporters too, and uh, you know, Arsenal lost against Watford this weekend two one. <laughs> And yeah. it's kind of like yeah. we have too much of a belief to these players that we actually have in our teams. Like we believe it can in, almost in, like it blinds us. Somewhat, exactly. Yeah. Like we don't really see through the illusion of really how, how good are they really? You know, um, I'm looking at the U.S. team, and I, quite frankly, the only time I was impressed was when they won that when I watched that six-one game at home. I think they played in. Um, San Jose. San Jose, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I was like, okay, this is a very rapid team. They have good passes. It's a good tactic. And they all are kind of like, not end of their career, but they're all experienced. If yeah. anything's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Yeah. But really looking into it, how good is really um, 
you know the team team the quality of the players i think that's and how good are the quality of mls i think uh that's what with this cycle we've come to realize this i mean we've had several players and Klinsman brought a lot of them in like Pulisic, Fabian Johnson, John Brooks, a lot of players that play in the Bundesliga, yep. Jeff Cameron and Yedlin play in Premier League. So right. we've had we have several players in the squad that play for decent clubs in Europe and play regularly. Right. So I think uh, for the last couple years a lot of people have been saying and I've honestly I agreed with them. I did agree with them. Uh that this is the most talented team the U.S. has ever had, just wow. on paper. Yeah. But now, I mean, <laughs> and maybe it comes, it, it, it takes losing a qualifier away to Trinidad to get to fail to qualify for the World Cup to realize it. But maybe this team just is not that, that mm. good. It really is just a me- mediocre. mediocre at best, right? Yeah. Especially like how I said earlier. You have some players that were so good. Tim Howard was so yes. good. We all remember Belgium, remember. right? Belgium game, yes. And playing uh, so many great games for Everton. That's right. And Clint Dempsey also for a Fulham, and he's had experience with Tottenham, was an excellent career in the right. Premier League. And Michael Bradley was playing at Roma, right? Yeah. So these guys have been so good, but they're just not anymore. Anymore. So, and, and these are still the guys, sorry, these are still the guys that we keep relying on to lead the team. When's really we should be looking at someone else. I mean, he was such a heartbreak for all the u.s soccer fans like but it's definitely heartbreaking for the players to like just yeah. listen to this interview with um, tim howard if i said disappointment it would be an understatement <laughs> um not how we anticipated tonight going that's for sure we we're under no illusions you know tonight was a game where we had to we couldn't have any slip-ups and quite frankly you know, after November 2016, we had an eight-game hex, but we had to play flawlessly. That's one hell of an uphill battle for anybody. We left ourselves no room for error, and we paid for it. You hear this, and you do feel gutted for the players. Yeah. You feel gutted for Omar Gonzalez that yeah. did the own goal and everything. Um, but just to and because they're good guys, they're great guys too, right. and they have been so good. And for the fans that travel there to watch this Definitely. game, uh, yeah, for oh sure, it sucks for them that their legacy that was so good <sighs> yes. is now completely tarnished. As they're yeah. the guys that failed to qualify yeah. for the World Cup because these guys are also the guys that helped to build oh, U.S. Yeah. soccer and MLS, the team and the the culture here, right? Absolutely. And just to touch on finally. I could go on forever. <laughs> I didn't say that. Normally, I, I can be, except maybe when talking about soccer, maybe. But normally, I'm pretty level-headed, calm, right? Very. But after our game on Tuesday, <laughs> after we all knew, we all walked away yeah. with our phones in hand and looking at the scores, right. seeing that the U.S. didn't qualify. And the drive back. The drive back, I just let it all out. I, I There was no one with me, but I just like was talking to myself, yeah. just let on this rant. I swore, I punched the air, whatever. I was just so pissed at the US not 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 qualifying, so we will have one episode dedicated because, you know, me being from Sweden, moving to US to kinda understand the soccer system, how it's working, how it is. Mm. I can compare it to how it is in Sweden. 
and you growing up in US in this system and um, have experience from here we will de- dedicate one episode to kind of compare yeah. and understand the differences and this if is there a good way or bad yeah, way yeah. right we'll talk about that. and that's why also I asked you about Turkey and how the people right generally take it once they don't once they don't qualify it's tough for me because i never lived in turkey so mm, i cannot mm. really feel the but same pain i even ask the same for sweden if they right if they, but I'm, uh but can we now before we introduce our next guest just pretend that you're driving home and you can have that rant and show your emotions of you as not making to the <laughs> world cup Oh, I, I mean, that was a very spur of the moment. Like I said, I'm not normally like that. So it was a very natural spur of the moment sort of thing. You yeah. know, you're smiling like Arda Turan, bro. Trinidad. <laughs> Trinidad. What? Three points. And we didn't give. And they had no reason to give a. They had nothing to do. We had a World Cup on the line. We had so called veteran players, superstar players. CONCACAF standards. We have Michael Bradley, Tim Howard, Josie Altador. Yeah, Christian Pulisic. I mean, they didn't give a <laughs> They didn't give a <laughs> We had a World Cup on the line. Pulisic, he, he tried. He tried. He got a good goal, but, but no urgency. Walking around, no tracking back. Other teams, Panama, Honduras, 
played with their lives on the line. It meant everything to them. It clearly didn't mean everything to us. And now these guys will be go down in history as the guys that failed to get the U.S. to the World Cup for the first time in like 30 years. You know, I can't, I can't really be here right now, even. This, and this isn't even the, 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 the bit or anything. Taylor, where are you going, man? The U.S. f***ing not qualified. Taylor, come back. Yeah, it's too much. Sorry. God damn it! sports documentary I watched is We Must Go and while I was watching it I got pretty surprised of the quality of this documentary it was very well done so many different stories so many different realities and had a really good take on this story and uh, We Must Go being a uh, I believe 2014 documentary portraying Egypt's attempt to qualify for the World Cup with Bob Bradley, American head coach at the helm, what with the country, let alone this national team, undergoing such turbulent times. It was a revolution happening in the country. And throughout these two years, two presidents mm. got off their power. And this movie showing the fight that the people have, but also showing um, how it affected the sport, but also a glimpse of upcoming rising players. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Mohamed Salah. Yeah. Mohamed Salah being 20 years old when this documentary was shot. Mm. And uh, Egypt, that has made it to the World Cup in mm. like since 28 yeah, years. Since 1990. See? And... You know, we just felt this heartbreak. But they have felt this heartbreak many times over and over and again. Yeah. And uh, we are very happy, man. We are, even in our sadness, we are super <laughs> happy for the Egyptian people. Oh, yeah. um, when I sometimes, tough situations or situations, you know, when you want to pray to God or I say, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I mean, it could be, before a test, it could be before a soccer penalty, it could be when I have an important meeting, you know, those occasions. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, which means in the name of God. Mm. It's from the Quran. Mm. And um, listen to this commentator 
in the 93rd minute. The game is 1-1 between Egypt and Congo and Egypt must win this game and Mohamed Salah is ready to take the penalty. Listen to this commentator man. The emotions after this game, the Egyptian people going into Tahrir Square on the streets and celebrating of the joy is something that we wish we could felt but it gives a better picture of that joy once you watch this documentary directed and produced by Dave Lamatina and Chad Walker and we called Dave Lamatina to talk about the making of this documentary how it was for him being behind the scenes and um, we also asked questions about Bob Bradley's personality. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's jump into the conversation right now. This is the story we want to tell. So, um, yeah, I mean, it really started in 2010 and it took a little while to find a story. It took a little while to get in touch with Bob and, mm -hmm. and to prepare ourselves to do it. We actually, in the, in the lead up to going to speak with Bob, we had set it up. So um, we did with like a small, small short film, almost like a proof of concept about the Sierra Leone international Kai Kamara mm -hmm. um, where we shot in Sierra Leone and they, strangely enough they played Egypt in the last game before Bob took over um, but yeah I mean it started really with the, with the beginning of the next World Cup cycle so you do have a soccer background didn't you because I, I was wondering that just with the watching yeah, the yeah, video both, yeah both Chad and I grew up um, playing and loving the game um, he ended up playing in college uh, I did not come out <laughs> quite so far I was a I was a goalie myself, um, but yeah, so we had a background in it and just loved the game, and uh, you know, I love, I love traveling, and so that, that aspect of it, and, and seeing the world through soccer is something that's always interested us, so um, yeah, it's just a sport that we, we continue to love, and are, are now all mourning the loss of the U.S. in the World Cup. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the, all the watch parties that we would have, you know, oh, I know. Crazy. <laughs> um, it's, it's shocking. It is definitely shocking. And, um, I mean, that's something me and Kerry really want to do as well. And we actually traveled to New York to watch two games and kind of report on it. And, um, uh, can you describe to us a little bit what you think a good story is to you? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a good story, a good story for, for me, especially in, as it relates to soccer. Yeah. Um, I, I'm looking, you know, Chad and I are looking for something that's about more than just soccer. You know, there's great soccer stories, certainly. Um, but what we were attracted to in Egypt is probably what we're attracted to overall, which is good, good characters. Right. And so, you know, you're seeing this this story and what it means to people and you're understanding what it means to, you know, sorry, I'm totally just sort of spinning the wheels. Go for uh, it. What a good, a good story for me is something, um, where you learn 
something unexpected or something new. And so this isn't just a story about a team trying to make it to the World Cup. Right. This is everything that goes into why when that goal goes in, exactly. people will celebrate. What, why are they celebrating with such passion? Why when you watch Mohamed Salah's goal against uh, Congo last weekend, does everyone just spontaneously run out onto the field in, in the celebration like nothing I've ever seen before? Why is he carried off on people's shoulders? And that why, for us, is what makes a good story. So did you know much about Egypt, the country, or no, Egypt no, soccer at all? I knew nothing about, mm. about Egypt. Um, you know, I knew that there was the, the Arab Spring, and that's about as much as I knew. Um, and I, I would say the same is for Chad. And that actually is this, it's the same for a lot of our films. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with an idea, like we're doing one right now about immigration. Okay. And, um, you know, I always believe that families should stay together and that we should have a welcoming immigration policy in the United States and, and all that. But I never really thought about what that meant or why things are the way they are or, or even understood it entirely until we spent the last two years of our life working on that. And it's the same thing with Egypt is, you know, we wanted to, um, with, you know, our line with that film was that we always wanted to use soccer as a lens through which to view Egypt. And so that's why for us, it was extremely important not to make this Bob's story. Um, yes, it's about Bob time there for an American audience that's mm-hmm. our audience and we're trying to draw them in and you always need to sell a movie in order to keep your, your right. livelihood going <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was sort of the, the hook for an American audience but we really tried to give equal weight to um, Mohammed Salah and Mohammed Abutreka and uh, the family of uh, the martyr who was killed in the Port Said riots um, I mean, because it was all—it was really all of their stories. It really wasn't. It, this we didn't want to make a story about an American savior. That was right. really something we we're trying to avoid. I mean, you said that was something that me and Kerry really tried to think about. Um, it's for me when I watched it, it was we were like thrown in in different people's realities, and we saw the details in, like you said, in the family or in the. The guy from the ultras, or all yeah. different perspectives. All different perspectives. Yeah. E- even when you shot that scene from uh, Mohammed Salah was in Switzerland, and uh, yeah, you, you show the you show the realities of these individuals, but at the same time, we get a sense of the big picture. And uh, uh, as you know, sitting in front of the TV and watching it, I got emotional, but. I wonder how it is for you guys that are behind the cameras and actually at working with these people and when they're sharing these tragedies. Asking the tough questions. Yeah, yeah. asking these yeah, tough questions. Yeah, for, um, sh- for sure. And this is a different film because you have, you know, I would say at least three of the people that are in the film and, and um, Bob, the the family of the Ultra and Mohamed Abutreka, who are not going to give you standard sports answers. Bob will tell you the truth. He's yeah. a very honest and direct man, and, and I really appreciate that about him. Yeah. Um, obviously, the family had never really done any sort of press, and they're not talking about sports anyway. Right. And then Mohamed Abutreka is such a soulful man who's really experienced some things. And, and Salah was an interesting one as well, because really, if you think about where we were at the time, I think the first time we interviewed him was like his, I want to say it was his, 19th or 20th birthday it happened it's been a while yeah, he was young yeah. he was young but he was young he was young and so like even in Basel when he was there you know he was like admitting to us that he was homesick which you don't think of a man for playing for Liverpool mm. you know like mm-hmm. talking about being homesick and mm-hmm. so um 
yeah, it just it, it just it allowed us to go to another another level. And so when you're when you're behind the camera and you're asking those questions, for most of these conversations, it was there. You know, we we do our research. We have a general idea of what people have been through. Um, it's never easy to ask someone something like that. And, yeah. and um, you know, I, I'm thinking specifically about talking to Mohammed Abutreka about his time in Port Said and, and cradling people as they died. Yeah. Um, and that was, it's hard. And that's especially hard because he's speaking Arabic and I don't speak Arabic. And so hmm. that conversation is very, um, I mean, not to sound too, uh, too new age, but it's very, it's like a very it's like deep connection because yeah. I don't understand what he's saying, but I'm reading his face and same for him, for me. Um, so it was like a very personal and intimate conversation. It was hard. It was certainly hard to hear. The, the one that was hard for us was, uh, you know, both Chad and I are relatively young fathers. We have kids on the age of six. And so uh, mm-hmm. at the time they were, they were babies. You know, my, my oldest was, you know, six months old when mm-hmm. Port Said happened, I think. And so to talk to this woman about how not only did her, was her son killed in, in this uh, massacre, but her husband then, you know, essentially died of heartbreak because mm-hmm. he was so close to the sun. That was something that really connected deeply with us. And, you know, it's emotional. And I think when you're doing these things, um, you have to open yourself up to be, you, you have to open yourself up to, to be emotional with them because mm-hmm. you're asking them to be emotional. And so you can't, you can't just, you can't just be clinical behind the camera. You have to really have a relationship there. And, and I think that's, um, I think there's certainly better filmmakers out there than, than us. But I think one thing we, we do well in is establishing a relationship with the people because we're generally interested in them. We're not just blowing in right. the town for a, for a day long interview and then right. now it's just like, you know, the content. over two years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that uh, actually touches on my follow up question, which would be on from their perspective. Was it easy for them to, op- or not easy for them to open up, but were they, were they willing to open up? Did you have to maybe do some, some prying or so to get them to open up or were they like the, the ultra, yeah, the ultra, was think, he, was he eager to, you know, talk of the, their cause and talk of the feeling of the people or did they, interestingly enough, the ultra was, was very willing to talk about it. Mm. Um, the, the hesitation that he had and, and what took us a while to break down with him was the idea that this wasn't about him because the ultras, you know, mantra was like, no, no one above the others of the club, you know? And so it wasn't, he wasn't shot in silhouette because he was scared. Right. You know, what, what certainly is a real thing that the people, people could come after him. Like, you know, like the opposite side of the polo. I mean, that's the, I noticed one part of the movie when the mother to the girl said, don't say too much. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. I guess that's the little bit fight that the Egyptian people wants to have. And she was talking about the freedom. Um, you know, they, how is it over there? If you can just shortly describe it to us. I mean, I can tell you how it was when we were there. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's probably changed drastically right. since, since right. then. Um, you know, it was. Like I said, not knowing anything about the country going into it, mm-hmm. it was a really interesting experience to have because we really rode the wave of I think what the people were going through. So when we first, you know, the, when the campaign really first started, it was right at, yeah, after the the revolution, you know, sort of wrapped up right into here. Um, 
and they were still figuring out what it was going to be and what life was going to look like. And at the time, everyone was super excited. You know, people were feeling like, this is amazing, and we're going to, you know, for the first time ever, we're going to have true freedom, and we can have a free and fair election. And as you see in the film, that starts to get bastardized over a couple of years of qualifying. And so, you know, then there's the coup, and basically things end up back where they were before the revolution in a lot of ways. And so people's opinions uh, and excitement and even just sort of attitude towards us as outsiders coming in changed to be, uh, I think it was less welcoming. Wow. And we were actually feeling really down on everything after the first match against Ghana. They weren't going to qualify. Uh, you're looking around and, and people aren't, they don't want us there as much anymore. The tide had turned against Bradley, so we couldn't even use that as like, uh, no, we're with Bradley kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were feeling really mm-hmm. down the country. But then we, had, I can't remember why we had this night out. But we had, we had this night where we were supposed to shoot something. Um, and it got canceled, and we ended up going out with, um, like, this young... One of the guys is, is in the film. Uh, he was a former founder of the Ultra White Knights. Okay. And um, he's part of, like, a hip-hop collective or a young artist collective. And they're like, oh, why don't you guys come out to the show tonight? So we're like, all right. So we go out to the show. show gets canceled for some reason. And so now we're just hanging out with, like, a bunch of the sort of the next generation of each uh, other. Yes. You know, 25 and under or whatever. Um, and they're like artists and I don't know, it was really, it was like, they're sort of like freestyling and look like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And and it really turned, it turned my opinion about like the future of the country. I was like, all right, these guys, you know, these older people in power who are corrupt and things like that, they're going to die. Yeah. And you know, the next generation, it's the next generation is, is solid. They're good people. They get it. You know, like they're, tapped into social media so they know what's out there you know it's just like okay that this it, it made me feel like the spirit won't be broken to be perfectly honest yeah. i haven't followed the day-to-day of egypt really at all i check it on the qualifying things like that but in terms of the politics of it yeah. we're sort of on to the next film and, and so it's always mm-hmm. there and i'll read about it but uh but yeah I, I don't know i don't know where it is now mm-hmm. um but i left there i left being kind of like a little bit down but also i felt hopeful for what what could come from a uh, soccer standpoint, from Egypt's qualifiers, there were certainly interesting atmospheres, if any at all, uh, from playing in a stadium with no fans. And uh, in our last episode, we just mentioned the the recent happenings in Barcelona and how they went through one game with no uh, behind closed doors, and then adding maybe ten thousand fans to Egypt's next game and such. What was the the feeling of being in the stadium with? empty fans or, or no fans or little fans it's crazy it was it was you know in a lot of ways it felt like watching a high school game because you'd get like <laughs> 50 people there right yeah. um but at the same time the people that were there were military because it was in a military stadium and so like we'd be sitting there in the stadium and there'd just be dudes with like huge guns and then <laughs> And like, you know, the recent history of Egypt and you look at it and you go, I, I, this doesn't, I know this is supposed to make me feel safe, but it doesn't make me feel safe at all. Mm. Um, it was crazy. And like, you know, to be able to hear the players, cause uh, for some of them, I would sit up like towards a press box and there'd be guys shooting on the field. Um, cause you only get like, whatever, two press passes. So the two guys are shooting. I'm up as a producer in the, 
in the press box. And so you can hear, uh, everything. Like, you know, right. even all the way up there, you can hear like Bob <laughs> shouting out instructions yeah. and someone scores a goal. It's like, Oh, that's scored a goal. That's great. Um, yeah, it was, it was strange. And then, you know, when they finally bring in fans, right. and yeah, like you said, even if like 10,000 or the last game when the stadium was full, it's crazy. You know, the yeah. last, the last game was great, but at the same time, it was, it wasn't, um, you know, no one really thought they were going to win. Right. Right. And so, so there, there's that it's sort of, it's it's sort of a down, down, yeah, down environment. But, you know, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Bob ever got to play in Cairo Stadium, which is like 100,000 people. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, you know, like every game we were at was at a military stadium. So, uh, yeah, it was, which is also a strange thing. I mean, what, what about Bob's character, man? Yeah, because tough, yeah. he, he feels like uh, he's always on point in what he says. And uh, um, can you tell about his character, like taking a job like that with that pressure I and mean, everything going on in the country? It has to be hard, but he's very optimistic and also straightforward in his goal that he wants to achieve, I feel like. Um, can you? Yeah. 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 I mean, look, I'll, I'll be honest. Despite playing up, uh, I'm sorry, just like growing up playing the game and, you know, being a fan of the game and watching the game, I, I'm not someone that I, that really thinks much about the tactics of the sport. Right. Um, and so I, I can't, I couldn't speak to Bob as tactician just mm -hmm. because I don't, you know, I, I don't think I'm well-versed enough to do that. But I will say as a leader yeah. um, and as just a person, he's just a good man, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like you, he, he took that job because you know, his goal was to coach the top league, the top leagues in the world. And he knew what a challenge it was. And he knew that if he won and got Egypt there, he knew what it would do for his career. And he liked the challenge. He liked, he saw, he saw a way, he saw a path. Like, I don't know if Bob would take a job with, you know, like some tiny African nation that has no history with no chance. Um, cause why would you do that? But yeah. this he saw as a way to get him to the next level. And, um, you know, he did. And, and he was very honest with us about, when we first met him, that he always felt like, as a national team coach, he always tries to talk about building off of what the guys before him did rather than tearing it down. So, like, you know, whoever comes in after Arena is going to come in and maybe rip Arena and, and rip Klinsman or whoever. Probably, I mean, maybe, maybe not. But, um, you know, so so with that in mind, I, I think I look at Egypt, and I, again, I don't want to be like, the Americans saved everything, but I look at Egypt and I look at their stars, and clearly Mohamed Salah was yeah. going to shine with or without Bob, but I would say that Salah and guys like El Nenny were, were helped to go abroad and helped in that process considerably by Bob mm. versus staying in the Egyptian league, um, which has, you know, which is, can be great, but also is a, is a challenge, you know, in terms of getting that global experience. And so I think, I think I haven't spoken to Bob about this and, and I'd be curious to, but I, I would suspect that some of those guys benefited tremendously from that. And now the national team is, is reaping the rewards of, of that. So, so I think, um, you know, if you speak about his character, I, I, I think he's just a good man. I think he is an honest man. I don't think he plays games. I don't think he calls people out in the press to just do that. Yeah. Um, and I think he, I think he stands up and when he makes a mistake, he says it. And, and, um, I don't know. It was really, it was really quite refreshing. He's a Jersey I'm a, I'm man a, too. I'm a Bob, yeah, I'm a Bob fan. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got to know him quite well. I'm sure you got to know his wife quite well. And I have to say that. 
I can't remember every single press conference that Bob Bradley did while he was with the U.S. or with Swansea, and I can't remember every image of him or every camera shot of him, but he's very, to me, he's a very, like, stern-faced totally. guy. Um, <laughs> even once he smiles, it's mostly like a wry smirk, it looks like to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's one scene where, uh, I can't remember who was talking, but it just showed a quick shot of him and his wife eating dinner, and there, at this scene, I saw I saw Bob truly smile with this big grin on his face. <laughs> I think it's the only time I've seen him truly smile. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably true. That is probably true. And I think he's loosened up a little bit, you know? I, I think, I don't know if you're uh, an NFL fan, but I remember when the Giants won the Super Bowl under Tom Coughlin, and it was a big thing. Is like, you know, Tom Coughlin has been this long time, yeah. hard ass, and finally, like, he loosened the reins a little bit, and that got the players on board and then his, his tactics were able to shine through. And I think a little, I mean, look, I, again, I had no media dealings with Bob. I was only a fan prior to working on this. And so I, but from everything everyone else has said, whether it's Alexi Lawless or Grant Wall and these interviews talking about like, yeah, yeah he's like, he's a totally different guy now. And I, I think, I think Bob would say he's not, but, uh, but you know, sometimes you can't see that in yourself. Right. So, right. Uh, I think he was more open about things and I think he, I think he leads the way he needs to lead. In the U.S., he didn't need to be doing these big press conferences. He didn't need to sort of entertain this media thing. But in Egypt, he did. Right. You know, he had to do the media circus and, and he had to take, take some of that heat off of his players. And right. so he, he did that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's interesting. And, and then, you know, like, off camera, yeah. he's like super chill and, is a really nice guy, but it's, he's like he's the same guy. But when he's talking, when he's talking about soccer, he's talking about work, and he's, he's it's work for him, you know. And it's a, it's a heavy film in terms of both the soccer and the politics of it. So you're only seeing him in that way. But yeah, like we would go up and like shoot in his room or whatever. He'd come in. He always, I mean, to this day, the first thing he asks us is about our kids, and it's like. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a good, but when we asked him if we could have their wedding pictures to, you know, potentially use in the film, they sent us the album. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, they sent us yeah. videos of them doing, you know, home videos of them doing karaoke, which is like singing, seeing Bob sing Springsteen had no place <laughs> in the film, but was pretty amazing to watch. Oh, man. Oh, that's great. What about, um, you and Chad? What about your collaboration? How do you, help each other out how is your partnership working when you shoot films yeah i mean it's it's hard i always wondered before i started working with chad how people do like a director partnership because mm -hmm. it seems like it's such a singular vision at times mm. um and then i met chad and it's like we complement each other in, in the best way possible you know he and i have now done we're wrapping up i think our fourth yeah i think fourth film together mm -hmm. maybe um fourth feature and uh, just a ton of other stuff. Um, and, you know, it hasn't always been easy to figure it out, but uh, the, the sort of standard answer I give is that I tend to be more on the, the front end of things where I do the research, I reach out to the subjects, I connect the, I sort of um, establish the relationships, I do the interviews, mm -hmm. um, and then like all production, obviously, and then Chad is more like, picks up in production, you know, and like, obviously he shoots everything. He's our DP. Uh, and he also edits And like right now on our film, like we're figuring out the post-production process and he's like contacting post houses. So it's like our skill sets mesh really well together. And then, you know, it's constant, constant discussions about story and character. You know, it's like, 
we were friends before we were business partners. And mm-hmm. so it's like, we go up with our buddies to uh, a hockey tournament every year in Canada. And it's like a 12 hour drive. and We drive up in an RV and everyone else is in the back of the RV drinking beer and watching movies. And like, we're sitting up front just talking about story and like mm-hmm. what we're doing with our films or shows or, um, it's just this, this conversation that's now been going, I mean, what year is it? It's now been going on for a decade, um, about, what we see and what we want to do. So it's, um, Always you know, it's brainstorming and yeah, every, ideas. everything. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it boils down to, I mean, it's a hundred percent. Like it's like my wife where it boils down to trust, you know? And yeah. it's like, I, I trust him, whether it is we are in a stadium in Sierra Leone and it's getting a little hectic and there's a little bit of a mob scene. And I trust him to get the shot and also, you know, look out for me and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like creative trust where, you know, we don't always agree on everything. We rarely agree on everything. And when there's a disagreement on the scene, we sit down and we talk about it and we figure out a compromise that almost always is better. And if we can't figure out a compromise, it's like whoever feels more passionately about it, the other one just trusts that vision. Okay. How's your Arabic come along? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, all right, if I were to go to Egypt, what would I know? I still know Casa which is World Cup. I know Shafan, which is thank you. <laughs> And, like, I feel like when someone's trying to offer me something on the street and I don't want to do it, it's like a vendor. If I just go, la, 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 like, like, leave me alone. That's all I really remember. <laughs> Great. Um, so, Aaron, how long was production totally? From, yeah. From start uh, to that's a good question. Probably a couple of years. I mean, our, our, we are always, we always get into these films that just take too long to make. You know, some people will make, like, a documentary and they'll shoot, like, months and we'll get in the Sundance. God damn, that's awesome. Um, We tend to be a lot longer in our production. That one, obviously, we just followed the cycle, right? So we thought it would go longer, right? We thought it would go into into Rio. Mm -hmm. Didn't. Um, So, yeah, that's about, about, I guess, two years. And you see the growth of the people that you're interviewing, I suppose, over these two years. I don't know how long you've known or how long you were working with say, the family, Dahlia and uh, Yasmin, but I I just noticed, and I don't know, I, I don't exactly know why, but I just noticed that at the start of the film, when you're talking with Yasmin, um, she was just speaking in Arabic. But then yeah, at times, yeah. she would, I, all of a sudden, I hear English thrown in. And so I was wondering yeah. if she just became more comfortable with her English or, or what? But, I think she became more comfortable with English, she became more comfortable with us. Uh, I think she was at a school where the school—if I'm remembering correctly—might have been an English language school. And so, like, yeah, that day we showed up. She, oh God, I forgot about. It. I haven't watched the movie in a while, so I forgot that that happened. But yeah, she, um, uh, she's just like, I'd like to speak English today. And we're like, uh, okay, all right, <laughs> uh, sure. sounds great. Let's do it. Sure. You know, uh, so yeah, I mean, it always makes it easier, right? When. And my film we're working on now is that many of the speakers are, their native language is Spanish. And it's, mm. it's hard because, you know, like as an interviewer and like you ask about being behind the camera and it's like you want to show respect and, and you want them to be comfortable. So like my Spanish is like, I could sit down and understand somebody and when we do interviews in Spanish, I get like 40 to 60% of it, depending right. on if I have a little bit of background on what the topic is. But I can't really do it, but I always try. Like, I always try when I walk in the room to speak in that language. Um, just out of a show of respect, I think it goes a long way with people. So what can we expect of the new movie? 
The one we're working on right now? Yeah. That's a good question. We uh, So the film is about a woman um, who is an immigration activist. Okay. She is the legal guardian to, when we started the film, over 850 children um, who are U.S. citizens, but their parents are undocumented, meaning that if the uh, immigration comes and deports the parents, the kids would typically go to foster care and then end up getting adopted. So they would not have any like legal recourse to be with their parents mm. who are now in you know, wherever Honduras or Costa Rica and, and the kids are here in the States with, uh, with a family that's not theirs. Mm. Um, but with this woman in place, she is the legal guardian. So if the parents are deported, she gets custody of the kids and then she fights to reunite them with the parents, whether that is, um, most often is trying to keep them here in the United States. So it's, um, a film we started uh, again two years ago okay. and, um, thought would be a great story. We didn't think it would have quite as much relevance as it as it sadly does today, yeah. um, but it certainly is quite an, become quite an important topic. So we're wrapping that up now, and we're starting to apply to festivals, and we're working with our composer to score. We're working with the same composer we worked with for We Must Go and, and all of our films. Um, but yeah, it's, it should be. I mean, I look. I think uh, I'm very proud of everything we've done at this yeah. point in terms of our films. But I think this one is far and away the best one. So hopefully, oh, other people right. agree. Look out for it. <laughs> you never know if other people agree, though, right? So we'll find out. <laughs> uh, last thing, Egypt now, as I'm sure you know, has finally qualified again for the World Cup. Oh, and so great! I've seen I've seen videos and scenes of just the people in the streets. So do you think people are crying, man? I know. Do you think by now, with the time you spent there, you can truly understand what these people are feeling, what they've been through, and uh, what they had to go through to get finally get back to the promised land that is the World Cup? You know, I think it would be foolish of me to say I understand it, mm. what, they, what they've gone through, um, because in the grand scheme of things, we made a film over the course of two years. It wasn't like we moved to Egypt for two years. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think I have an appreciation, mm. like, if that makes sense. I think yeah. I have appreciation, and I think I'd say the same for Chad. We have an appreciation of what they've been through. And we see it and we see why it's, you know, why when Salah scores that first goal against the Congo, people just, I mean, I love that video. People just running onto the pitch. Um, but yeah, I think to understand it, you have to be there. And I think Bob, I think Bob would obviously understand it. He lived there. He moved to Egypt. That was a big thing for him, right? He couldn't just be this coach that flies in. Um, you know, I, I think as as true documentary filmmakers, we would have loved to live there for two years. But the truth is, you know, it's a it's a financial constraint. We have families that are here in the states, you know, little kids, and so we couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I am. I mean, this is probably going to sound terrible, but you know, like it's. I would sort. I would rather see Egypt there than the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I love the U.S. team. Don't get me wrong. Um, but knowing and having an appreciation for what it means to the people there versus, you know, like people are bummed out here. I'm sure Nike is pretty upset, yeah. you know, Gatorade is yeah. totally not happy. And, but like, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 I, I wish we were there. I do. Like, yeah. It would be super fun. But man, am I excited. And I, I sort of had forgotten about my emotions for the country until I, you know, watched that watch that goal go in and it's like oh yeah yeah this is awesome yeah so 
You hope, you hope they do well, have a good showing. I wish they could get Abu Trake to on retire and yeah. come out and play again. But I mean, like, that's one story, and I, I don't even know the most recent thing with it, but like, after the Muslim Brotherhood was outed, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys follow the story at all, but once the Muslim Brotherhood, um, was, was kicked out of power in the, in the coup or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, depending on who you are, um, the Muslim Brotherhood became like this label as a terrorist organization and Abu Trika as a, as one of the faces of it, you know, like they froze his assets. And, and again, I don't have the most recent facts and I probably should have before we did this, but, um, it's crazy, right? You know, you go from being a national hero to being like, oh, well, associated with a terrorist organization. Yeah, I and, and I, and I was, I was with Mohammed Abu Trika in a room. He's not a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, that's just so ridiculous. I mean, um, you, you guys, I really appreciate that you guys did this because you're showing the what's really happening and what's really going on and you're combining different perspectives and I really love it man it's really thank you thank you forward. you know it means a lot because we uh we worked hard on this one and, yeah. I, and I think we worked hard to make it more than a football film totally. and I think I think unfortunately you know working in documentary yeah uh you either capture the zeitgeist or you don't and that depends on how many people that that will affect how many people see it. And I think for us, um, the people that have seen We Must Go get it and and appreciate it and yeah. and get what we are going for. But I think honestly, because it was a team that didn't make the World Cup and it was a team, um, you know, it was an Egyptian team. Uh, I I don't know that all that many people cared about it here as well as we thought they would. Right. Um, so I I always love talking to people who have seen the film and hearing about it and uh thanks i mean it does it means a lot i'm glad you guys took the time to watch it i'm always happy to talk about it so <laughs> so it's great it's great to chat and we're gonna look at the i was looking at the uh trailer for the kai film i haven't seen it i didn't even know about it, it looks amazing i'll tell you i'll tell you about the kai film uh and i'll, and I'll be perfectly honest with you guys yeah. because because uh, i feel like you deserve that it was a test for us to see like how because we, we had never done we never shot soccer we never shot the like a style that we wanted we hadn't developed it and so what happened with Kai is we made this film that I think both and Chad and I love Kai love Kai's story but I, I I think we both feel like the film itself isn't quite the treatment that Kai's story deserves like in terms of just like the way we made it I don't think it's I don't think it is it. Uh, quite as well put together as some of the other stuff we we're doing because mm-hmm. of that test nature of it. And okay. I, I, don't, I also don't think we really ever expected it to be like <laughs> public in a lot of ways. You know, it was like, oh, it's kind of like, oh, let's apply to this festival. And then we got in and that was great. Um, but then we did something, uh, we did something with MLS a couple of years back. Kai did, you know, Kai was the league scorer in the league and yeah. he's playing in Columbus. And we had this great relationship with him and we had this long, um, archive of footage. And so MLS hired us to do a piece for them, uh, whether MLS insiders, and that's about, I think it's either 10 or 12 minutes long. And that, I think, that's actually what I would point you to. And that's available on the MLS. If you Is just look the, up like uh, MLS insider Kai Kamara, it's, I think it's on YouTube. Um, I think that is a better telling of Kai's story than our first film is. Awesome. Excellent. We're going to look for it. Thank you so much, Dave. We really yes. appreciate it, man. Pleasure right, talking. Thanks, guys. Good luck with so the podcast. And if there's anything, I know you said you're interested in doing this sort of thing in, in podcast form. So, uh, you know, if there's anything I can offer in terms of advice or anything, just let me know. But, you know, we did a, we did a series that hasn't aired yet for Sports Illustrated where we traveled across Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, two summers, again, not this summer, the summer before, with a journalist, the journalist James Montague, who appears in the, in oh, yes. Moscow. Yes. And we traveled from, uh, Algeria to, 
uh, Bob Swan with him in three and a half weeks and did four stories about soccer and how soccer explains those places. So we did one in Algeria in a refugee camp in Western Sahara, uh, one in Rwanda with the Amputee Football League, one in Lesotho with uh, a organization that uses football to um, for AIDS prevention. Yeah. And then this crazy story in Botswana um, about a Botswana Premier League team who made its money from uh, issuing hunting permits, and then hunting was banned, and so the Premier League team went belly up, but still is playing in the Premier League and but playing in a small village where like it's being stalked by lions and elephants go through town and stuff. So. Definitely, this is our. This is what we're interested in. So, if there's yeah. anything else that you guys want to chat about, just let me know. We'll definitely, definitely, because uh, that's exactly in line with what me and Kerry want to do. We were even talking about traveling to Kenya and uh, try to find some soccer players' academies, uh, even in the less um, like in the ghettos or people that yeah. find joy from soccer, but also yeah, try no, to that's, cover. That's definitely what what we were looking at doing. Yeah, so it's, uh, that's cool. It's great stuff. So, where are you guys based? We are in Atlanta, Atlanta. right now. Yeah. Okay. So nice. you guys go to Atlanta United games all the time. All the time, man. All the time. Yeah, it's the a hype good deal, is real. Huh? Yeah, it's really good team so far. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dave. Let's chat. Maybe we can even collaborate uh, one uh, soon, even. Um, yeah, for sure. Just, just uh, keep in touch. Let me know if there's anything you want to talk about. All right, man. Definitely. Thank you so Bye. much. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. 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 And really fascinating stories, really fascinating for the people of Egypt at that time. And it's amazing to see what they've gone through the last several years. And now they're going to the World Cup. They're going to World Cup, man. Mohamed Salah shot that penalty right at the end of the yeah. game and brought that joy, that celebration to our entire nation. And, oh, man, that was the <laughs> feeling... I wanted to have when I was laying on the couch watching Turkey, man. Yeah. Against Iceland, dude. Against Iceland. Don't sleep on Iceland, apparently. Now, <sighs> give them credit. I mean, but it's not that. just it's not just me that upset. Is Iceland? There's other countries that compare with Iceland too. Yeah, I mean, U.S. for example, right? We have how many? Three hundred something million people, and we can't string together this cycle. Can't string together a team that. Uh, can beat Trinidad, <laughs> bottom of the hex, away from home. Whereas Iceland goes to a place like Turkey and wins three zero, and they're they're doing great stuff. So by the way, I didn't appreciate you leaving me in the car and just took off, man. <laughs> just walked out of the car, dude. What the heck was that? But something I want to say is that we are very inspired by this talk with Dave Lamatina and. Let's see where us coaching King will be in the future. We have different big ambitions and we and dreams. And thank you for following our journey from the start to where we are now. And we really appreciate you took the time to be with us. US and Turkey are out right now, but Sweden will play against Italy. Yeah, yeah. And uh hey, the football world goes on and so do we. Thank you for listening to the Oz Kajin King Soccer Podcast Show.